Uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to get in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the things that you've done. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, restoring us. And we're in the process of being restored, of beginning restoration, or mostly through restoration. We just thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Now, I don't know if you know this. We have a Saturday night service, and it, it's, it's really run. It's not really run. It, it, it has a free spirit about it. You know, I'm really, we need to start on time. We need to finish on time. Saturday service, I don't care. We start 20 minutes late. We start, but it's a good group of people. And instead of me preaching a sermon, what I do is I ask questions. And I asked the question this. I said, what is the highlight and the low light of your religious experience? Think about this. What was the highlight and low light of your religious experience? Then when I get time to answer those questions, I'm going, dang, dude, there's some deep, deep hurts just within that small group of the religious experience. And so if you notice, I want to show you a picture up here. It was a year ago last Wednesday that this picture was taken. Um, if you notice me, this, uh, this is Mike, who is our group. This is the first day of our recalibration process. So I went to Tampa, Florida a year ago, and this was my prayer that I will not minister out of my doctrine, or I won't minister out of my theology, but I will minister out of my passion. And so I've noticed in the last year or so that the Lord has taken me on this road to really being restored in order to restore others. And so when I look at this, because I grew up in the Nazarene church, and uh, it's a holiness denomination, and so if you've heard the song, Holiness unto the Lord now and forever. That was a big theme song. 
And so my grandfather really teached us a lot about the second work of grace. And it's interesting, the second work of grace is basically whatever you were struggling with in your life, a sin in your life, that you can be completely free from it and never struggle again. And I always thought, how do you do this? Because I have been struggling with the same temptations since I was 15 years old. I'm 56 years old. And so sometimes for me, it's hard to understand this because holiness is equated, and I'll put this on the screen, with what we call purity. And as a pastor that struggles with thoughts, that struggles with temptation, that man, in order to be free from this, how do I do this? And so because we equated that God is a God that doesn't want anything to do with sin. It's like his kryptonite if he was Superman. And so therefore I was brought up that I had to go through a purification process or a religious ritual in order to be purified so that I can have a relationship with God. You see? And so therefore if I'm struggling with certain sins, I don't understand how I can have an intimate relationship with God even if I'm still struggling here. Am I the only one that's done this? Okay, because I want to be sure, because sometimes I go on a limb and no one goes with me on it. And so what we have to do is we think we have to scrub up in order to have this deep, meaningful relationship with God. So we look at other people that have projected this spirituality that they're so close with God, and we go, I want this, but I still struggle with this. I'm not good enough. And so then I understand the word of God, scripture, that God was made human, right? We know this through Jesus Christ. And Jesus grew up in the Jewish religion. So talking about purification rituals that Jesus had to go through. So does Jesus follow these? Does Jesus, what is Jesus when it comes to being clean or unclean? Now, it's interesting to me that... Um, that when it comes for purification, that the Jewish law required you to wash your hands before you eat. Now, this is before they knew about germs or germophobics. It was a religion rituals. And so what they did is understand this. When they washed their hands, it had to be a certain type of water. They could not do the religion purification of the hands with well water. It had to be rain or from a stream. And they stored these in large jars for purification process. And so when Jesus and his disciples came over to eat and didn't bother washing their hands, oh, it just broke loose. And so if I, was, if I knew this scripturally, I would go, Mom, Jesus never washed his hands when he ate. Why do I have to? I'm sure that wouldn't go anywhere. Well, try it. See if it works. The reason I'm doing this, I'm leading up to something, because in the book of John, sometimes we read the Word of God for a historical point of view, or sometimes we read the Word of God through a story point of view. But if we read the book of John in a symbolic way, it has some incredible symbolism. And so I want you to follow this, that, that if you heard the story, we read it today, <laughs> and this, the word of God cracks me up because it shows that Mary was no pushover. Mary was a strong, strong woman. And I think Mary pretty much had Jesus. She was strong. You're raising Jesus, you have to be strong. And so they were at a wedding. And it's interesting because you guys laughed that that. 
they gave the good wine first, and then when everyone got drunk, they threw the cheap wine. You know, they couldn't tell they were all drunk, I guess. So Jesus was at this wedding with his mother. And all of a sudden, they ran out of wine. Now, back in those days, when a wedding feast was going on, and you ran out of wine, it was humiliating for that family. That, that humiliation goes for years. Mary wasn't even part of the family. Now, get this, how control issues here. Mary goes to Jesus and basically says, you need to fix this. Now, I don't know about Jesus. I'm going, this is not my wedding. This is not my thing. But, and mind you, Jesus has never done a miracle yet. He's never done anything. So his mother, with high expectations to Jesus, you need to fix this. And so he did. And it's interesting. The symbolism is interesting. It says in Scripture, he grabbed these jars. What were these jars? They were used to store the water for purification. They represented religious purification. So what Jesus did, he took these jars, now follow me on this, and repurposed them. Follow me on the screen. Jesus repurposed the stone jars used to store water for religious ritual purity ceremonies to make some of the best wine ever. Jesus uh, repurposed something that represented religious purity into something flowing into joy. So it's interesting, the main symbolism I take from this story, back on the screen, we are not made for endless tasks of trying to scrub ourselves cling through religion so that we can be accepted by God. God made us to be the finest wine which brings a rare love and joy in our environments. This is not a miracle story. It's a transformation story. We don't transform ourselves. We are transformed by the love of God through Christ. Now, I think this is interesting to me because the symbolism of taking what, what is a bunch of rules, and this is what you need to do, to bring complete joy in this incredible party and this incredible celebration. And I looked at this and I thought, this is what we need to be doing. Not stuck in these religious, religions, purification, all this stuff, we have to do this. I don't know if you went to visit other churches, including this church. Every church has their different religious rituals that they require. And so, therefore, you go, I mean, it's interesting, because some, when we have people that have come to the church and said, I want to be baptized, and I go, have you been baptized before? And he goes, yes, about four times. And because every church requires them, their religious ritual, them to do the baptism, because it doesn't count. Do you see? And so, we've got to be very careful that all of a sudden, it's not about conforming to a religion, but it's about transforming and restoring and being, in a sense, the party, the life of the party, instead of focusing on this. Now, let me show you another symbolism. That if you look in the book of Isaiah, and it talks about our relationship with God. And Isaiah uses a symbol as it's a marriage. Follow me. We read it. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now when I start looking at my relationship like this, like a marriage, it changes things. 
Because it's almost like God proposes to us. God pursues us and wants a relationship with us first. It's not about purifying myself in order for God to love me. God already loves you. God already loves me. And if you look back on the screen, this is the incense of a marriage. For us to be in love in a relationship with God. That's the, the, the solid thing about a marriage is that we are truly in love with one another. And God isn't truly in love with you. Are we truly in love with God? And for us to become one with God. Our marriage ceremonies talk about this all the time, that the two shall become one, correct? And what do they do? They do the unity candle, which we did the unity candle. Unity candles are interesting, especially when you have a tremor. It looks like I'm trying to burn the other candle when I'm trying to do this. I go, why are we doing the unity candle? And then if you do outside, you do the unity sand, correct? And so the unity means, for me, to become one, and usually to become one, your children that you have in the marriage represents the one, the two that become one. And so God wants to become one with us. We want to become one with God. That's what it's talking about. And so this is where we are transformed in our relationship with God, just like grapes are transformed into wine, right? And so it's interesting, if you look at the, the symbol, why wine, you know, this wine is transformational. The Apostle Paul totally understood this when we read these words this morning. Follow me on the screen. Now there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same that God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So I think Christians often, just like the Jewish religious leaders of these days, we often just don't get it sometimes, especially being pastors. Follow me on the screen again. The world often feels like a wedding banquet gone bad. It feels like a party that ran out of wine. And that religion usually has to offer judgment and Fix yourself, belief system, rules and the rituals. Religion can be like worthless empty stones and jars with nothing to offer. What we need is that Jesus transforms us. We need his spirit to enliven in us and activate our gifts so that we transform the world into a wedding feast. God's love making us one with God and each other. Now follow me on this. Since I've been <laughs> focusing on restored in order to restore it has become my passion it's become my life now that rest, restoration is so essential for all of us within the marriage within who we are within our family within our work within everything restoration and that's what god majors in but it's interesting i talked to a a real estate guy that's a friend of mine and he shares some stuff he's a commercial realtor and I, I, I don't stop. Restore in order to restore. Restore in order to restore. And so he came over and said, I think I have someone I want you to meet. And they're interested in using this facility that is going to be torn down in our building project and where the Spanish church met. And her name is Kim. And she's a CEO and the founder of what's called Saving Innocence. 
And I watched her videos, and what she does is she signed up with the sheriff's unit or the LAPD, one of the police departments, when a girl from 12 to 17 years old is found in the sex trade and a slave, they pull her out and they call it saving innocence. It's all run by women that go in and bring them out. And they have what's called the safe house for them to live in. And in the tape, it talks about restoring these girls' lives. And I just go, dang. I don't know if it's a God thing, but I basically told him she can have the building for free. That we will want to partner with this because I'm totally into restoration and this is important. Because I'm, thanks to Angela, I'm really cognizant of the, how is the word? Come on, come on, that word. Um, what is it? Objectification. The objectification of women, because we've had many talks about that. And so, therefore, Angela has an input in me, let me see this for years ago. And then all of a sudden, this it's an opportunity of restoring. So, can we, as a church, be restoration for you, restoration for the Young girls are stuck in the slave trade. I mean, there's all kinds of things that God can bring in our lives when we stop focusing on, can I do this? Can I do this? Is it religious rights? Can I do this? I'm not pure enough. I'm not loved enough and all this stuff. God's going, come on. There are needy people that need to be restored. And I'm going to bring it to your church if you're not going to find it. And I'm going to see, who knows the opportunity, but it fascinates me when we focus on restoration and healing on our life and get rid of our little pride and ego to see what the Lord can do. And so this is where I think God turns this water into wine, turns us into a people of celebration, not about rules and regulation, about really in involving that our big sign that says, no judgment, just love. This is exactly what I believe God is putting on our hearts. And here's the thing. I bet a lot of you guys are the life of the party. I bet a lot of you guys are not into backbiting, are not into gossip, but have been in want to encourage other people to make the best of their lives and to give them hope when they're in a hopeless situation. Now, I'm not saying, look, I'm perfect here. I'm married. My, my wife's sitting there. She can vouch for you. The dude is not perfect. He's messed up, and I get irritated with him on a daily basis. How I know that, she reminds me that. Okay? I can be a dry clay. My wife's advice for your marriage, this is what she gives. The secret to a happy marriage, low expectations. I'm telling you, that's what she tells people, low expectations. I thought, Danny, I thought it would be great to be, hey, great man of God, a great understanding. Nope, low expectations. And that's a happy marriage. And so, so, so when we look at this, to say, you know what? We, Jesus, is going to give us more flavor. Jesus, see, this is interesting. How many of you drink wine? Most of you do. I'm not judging you. I don't drink wine because... I just don't. I don't like the taste. But most of us do. And it's interesting because I, I watch you guys. You guys go to wine tasting. You don't see soda tasting, <laughs> orange juice tasting. Don't, do you? And then when I watch you guys, I can't do this because I've got a tremor. 
You guys take the wine cup and you look at it for some reason. And you do this. And then you do this. And I'm going, what in the world? And then you do it and you go. And you have this joy in your life when you swallow it, right? It's like this whole nother life that I don't understand. And you will spend money. And the same bottle of wine. I'm looking at soda. They go, 98 cents, $1.50, I'll take 98. You won't. Because the older it is, some reason, because it's not like milk, but the older it is, the more expensive it is, right? Because it's, it has this complex flavor with rich tones, which I don't understand that language. This is why I get into Google. And it's a finer wine, the richness and flavor. This is what the Lord wants to do with us. He wants us to get stronger tones of joy in our lives with a full-bodied taste of love, with hints of peace and kindness that all of us can swallow, right? Because we got a lot of people that can't swallow a thing. So this is why it leads to communion. And I'm going to share about this. The symbolism. Wine. Now, yesterday, I, last night, I asked... What is the greatest pain in your religion? The majority of them was communion. They weren't allowed to take it because they weren't in that religion. One person shared that when he came up, not in this church, came up, the priest said, are you our religion? And he said, no. And he goes, no. He was in line with his entire family. It affected him tremendously and his wife tremendously. The other one was the same way that the father-in-law told her, look, this was just this Christmas. Don't, don't take communion and you're not allowed. And I'm just going, how do we make this into a religious rite? We have an open table. That means everyone, anyone takes communion. You don't have to be part of the denomination. You don't have to do anything. It's a gift. It's a gift for us. This should not be a pain. This should be a joy. Because when we do take communion, the wine, we got to remember, you are beautiful wine yourself, that you were created by God. And so I want to encourage you that as we go into the prayers of the people, just to remember that you are a beautiful creation that's created by God, that religion is one thing that sets these religious things. But in Scripture, I don't see it. I don't see the purification, all this, the process to get to God. God loves you like a groom. And he calls you to come up the aisle and have a relationship that he loves you so much for who you are now. And then with that love, you are restored in the way that he created you to be. The biggest gift is being yourself, being you. I've tried to be different pastors. I've tried to be T.J. Jakes. I've tried to be Robert Schuller. I've tried to be this in order to have a church of this and that. But the freer that I am, I'm just me now. Take it, you leave it. But this is what God's created me to be. 
He's taken my pain. He's taken this. I made a commitment, a vow to him that I will follow him, that I will love him, that I'll be with him. And then he'll use me in the most unique way as he's going to use you. So may God bless you and may God bless his word. Let's stand for the prayers of the people.